Yes, yes, baby! Good day, and welcome to Wheat Pete's Word here on RealAgriculture.com for Wednesday, June the 12th, on this episode of The Word. Progress! Yes, baby! Then we're going to talk about, of course, wheat. Growing straw, if you can imagine that, weed control questions, and a couple of specific questions at the end of the episode. Let's go. First off, yes, 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 an awesome weekend. Wow. We got several days, at least three days, where it was sunny and warm and tremendous headway that got made. So that's excellent news. The majority of the corn crop is planted. Still a fair few soybeans to go, lots of edible beans to go, but much better progress. In fact, one caller said, Peter, last episode, you were all doom and gloom. Oh my gosh. For my farm, the soil worked better on June the 8th, 2019 than it did in 2018, and I thought the crop went in pretty well. And yes, for those who waited long enough, the soil generally did finally come, not perfect, but finally did come from that perspective. It's just that it was June the 8th, not May the 8th. Meanwhile... It's not all roses for everyone. Certainly the heavy clay soils simply didn't have enough sunny days to really get dried out. The untiled land, even on good dirt, was still not really there. Lots of things getting done that we would rather not do. So still extremely wet areas where almost no crop progress at all. So Johnson made much better progress, many of us did, but we still have to realize there's people out there that did not do very well, and and my heart goes out to them for sure. Meanwhile, on the other end of the spectrum, oh my gosh, it is unbelievably dry in parts of western Canada, Saskatchewan in particular, areas around Saskatoon where growers already are looking at selling cattle. It isn't even the middle of June and they have so little pasture that they already have to sell off part of the herd. They simply don't have the forages there to keep that those cattle around. And it's unbelievable how we can get that dichotomy so wet we can't get crop in the ground in Ontario and much of eastern Canada so dry in western Canada that they can't even feed the livestock that is just horrendous meanwhile hay yields here in Ontario lots of hay coming out of the field hay yields have been disappointing for the most part we expected that we knew that was going to happen but they have been extremely disappointing some growers saying only two-thirds 60 percent to two-thirds of a normal yield it's winter kill it's cool wet conditions throughout that growing period so hay yields in ontario quite low not a chance that we have extra forage to ship out to the growers in Saskatchewan unfortunately and lots of growers looking for annual forages in fact oat and pea seed pretty well sold out lots of growers looking at sorghum sudan grass because there's still seed of that available and yes it's the time to plant it it can make some annual forage but gosh just not where we would like to be on June the 12th of any production year just noticing that it is June the 12th don't forget that that you need to call AgriCorps by June the 15th to report unseeded acreage or acreage that you don't yet have planted. The deadline for corn has been extended. It's June the 17th. The deadline for soybeans also extended. Planting deadline extended. 
till July the 5th. So it's not that you won't plant those acres, but typically AgriCorps likes to have unseeded acreage reported as a potential that you're not going to get it in the ground by June the 15th. Looks like, unfortunately, going to be pouring rain on Thursday and Friday. So take the time, call AgriCorps, let them know where you're at, just get that claim opened. And then by July the 5th, you'll have to actually verify whether those acreages are unseeded or not. Okay, let's go and talk about the wheat crop. Lots of things going on in the wheat crop. Some of them good, some of them not so good. So first off, like it's hard to believe, but there are fields out there where I'm already seeing lodging. You talk about two different crops in the field. The September wheat, awesome crop. Yeah, a few killed out spots, but in general terms, awesome crop. Thick, thick canopy, mildew, powdery mildew in some of that wheat at much higher levels than I I would normally expect. Why is that? We don't generally see powdery mildew this late in the year because powdery mildew stops when we get temperatures, air temperatures of 28 degrees Celsius. Well, 28 degrees in 2019, a bit of a pipe dream. So we still have powdery mildew coming on and the canopy is so wet. I was walking wheat fields yesterday and at four o'clock in the afternoon coming out of the wheat field, my boots were still wet. That's how much moisture, humidity is down in that canopy. So absolutely perfect for that disease to develop. But yeah, wow, lodging already in that early planted crop. Meanwhile, in the in that October wheat, oh, talk about the variability. Absolutely unbelievable. So a few things that we're definitely seeing out there. Cereal leaf beetle. In the traditional areas, I find this most interesting. In the traditional cereal leaf beetle areas, huge pressure. Wheat crops that are just getting stripped by cereal leaf beetle, you need to control for cereal leaf beetle absolutely. If you can wait till your T3 fungicide, wait. But on the on the October wheat, it's still a few days away in some of those areas. And, and cereal leaf beetle happens so fast. Man, you almost can't wait on that T3 fungicide. So that's an alert on cereal leaf beetle. On the other hand, and the rest of the areas where cereal leaf beetle normally isn't a problem, yep, almost no cereal leaf beetle, just not an issue at all. There's aphids in the wheat crop, but there's also lots of ladybugs at this point. Yeah, there's more aphids than I would like to see, but we're well below threshold, lots of ladybugs. So hopefully the ladybugs and the natural parasites will keep those aphids in in check. Not at threshold, not that I'm going to try and control those aphids at this particular point in time. Physiological fleck. Oh my gosh, unbelievable. So that's the sunburn on the leaves. It's the UVB radiation that actually causes like a sunburn on the leaf and certain varieties are extremely susceptible to seeing tremendous damage on those leaves. It can be linked to a chloride deficiency, although we haven't been able to apply chloride to overcome that deficiency in any of the trials that we've done to this point. But wow, there, the, we simply don't have much cuticle on the leaf. We get a whole bunch of cloudy weather. We get that one super sunny day with great solar radiation and we get that physiological fleck. Not much you can do about it, but in some fields, it will impact yield. It is that severe. As well, late applied 28%. I'm I'm surprised at how much leaf injury. In some fields, I'm seeing up to 50% burn on the flag leaf. That's That, again, just shows you how little cuticle we have out there on the wheat crop. But 
Late applied 28%. If If you did it during a sunny day, oh my gosh, she's just all bad from a burn potential. Last on wheat, timing the T3 fungicide. We've been programmed so many years to be early. A day early is better than a day late when it comes to that T3 fungicide. Whoa, wait a minute. Not in 2019. We have so much variability there that you just have to wait for an extra couple of days to let the tiller heads get out and be exposed. And I'm I'm just seeing a lot of growers getting out there and spraying at day one. It's quite clear in the data that we get better yield response if we wait till day three or even day four than we get at day one. Plus, we get less dawn in the grain if we spray a little bit later through that heading process. So this year, you get out there, you look at it, you say, oh gosh, it's go time. No, back off. Give it another couple of days. In most cases, that's going to give you better control than as if you get out there and jump it early like we normally would do. Okay, going to move on and talk about, if you can believe it, growing straw. So from Blair up in Bruce County saying he's getting lots of calls on unseeded acreage. And this is a thought process throughout all of the unseeded acreage. If you have unseeded acreage, you have livestock producers that need some forage after the crop insurance deadline. So once you've passed that deadline, you can actually grow oats as a forage crop and crop insurance will still pay you the unseeded acreage benefit. There's lots of options from that perspective. By the way, if you're a livestock producer in Ontario short on forage, one of the best forage crops, bar none, is still corn silage. So Planting corn later than June 17th, missing that deadline, well, you'll get your unseeded acreage benefit, and then you still plant the corn and take it for silage. Use a short season hybrid. Gosh, I I really think that we don't look at corn silage or corn as a forage crop often enough in these situations. But on unseeded acreage, growing a forage crop certainly can help neighbors and It keeps weeds down on your field. There's lots of benefits. It's a win-win scenario in a tough situation. I mean, it's it's not a good situation to begin with, but in a tough situation, growing a forage crop for a neighbor absolutely can help both your soil and help them out as well. But Blair's saying, Peter... Lots of growers simply are thinking, grow straw, 10 cents a pound in the swath. Gosh, we got, can we grow oats as a straw crop if we plant it whenever, the 1st of July or, or the 25th of June or, or whenever we're past that, that deadline for the other crops that we can't grow? And the answer is absolutely. If you can find oat seed, we can grow oats for the straw. Now think about this. We're going to plant the oat crop, and interesting, Leo at Orangeville still has some oats to plant and said, okay, so, you know, on the 13th of June, if I plant my oats, or the 12th of June, if I plant my oats at Orangeville, what is my yield potential? And it it actually all comes down to what kind of a summer do we have? Orangeville is a low heat unit part of the province here in Ontario, and so far, June has just been cool, cool, cool. It, If it stays this cool all the way through, that oat crop could actually do 
very, very well, much better than you would anticipate. On average, though, normally if it yields a ton per acre of oats, that would be kind of the game that you're playing in. And you'll definitely, absolutely must spray it with a fungicide for rust control. Late planted oats, tremendously susceptible to crown rust. And I think you just have to factor that in if you want to get an oat crop. Even if you want to get decent straw crop, you probably have to factor in a fungicide for that rust control. Meanwhile, want to grow oats for straw? Yep. Get them planted. Keep the seeding rate high. Probably 1.4, 1.6 million seeds per acre. That's even higher than we would normally go for grain, but we're just trying to produce straw. It's late. They're not going to tiller. Got to keep the seeding rate up. Going to need a little nitrogen. They won't grow without nitrogen, so 30 pounds of nitrogen. And then let them grow right up until anthesis, until the head comes out, because we need the stem to make the straw. That's really what straw is, is mainly that hollow stem. But once it heads out and goes to pollination, to anthesis, then at that point, you're not going to get a lot more development of the straw in the crop. And I don't think we want it producing a lot of seeds. So shortly after it heads out, maybe 10 days after heading, you're going to terminate that oat crop and you're going to let it dry down and you're going to cut it and use it and sell it as straw. Remember that in that process, because it didn't go to head, you're actually going to have more nutrients in the straw than straw normally has. So you're going to ex export more potash and more phosphorus than normal, probably in the range of two cents a pound of dry matter that's going to go off the field in nutrients. So factor that in as you go. But kind of a cool thought process to build some straw reserves on a year when we simply don't have any straw. Adam, you're asking about growing wheat after sorghum sedan grass and if that's the same risk as growing wheat after corn or corn silage. So of course the only risk of wheat after corn is fusarium. The risk after sorghum sedan grass the sorghum sedan grass fusarium will affect that crop, but not nearly as severely as corn. It's much less susceptible than the corn crop. So I actually think wheat after corn is at higher risk for fusarium than wheat after sorghum sedan grass. Having said that, the wheat after sorghum sedan grass still is at some level of risk. So I would still say plant a moderately resistant variety to fusarium of, of the wheat crop and make sure you spray that T3 fungicide. It's just normal good management. Okay, let's finish up here on weed control. First, a grower saying, hey Peter, you said that atrazine antagonizes glyphosate. I've used Lumax for the last three years, had excellent results. Are you telling me that the atrazine in my Lumax is actually working against the glyphosate in my Lumax? Like, What's, what's going on there and, and should I not use it again this year? Oh, wait a minute, stop. Yes, atrazine antagonizes glyphosate. It's just the way that the two products work. But when you get a product like Lumax or any product that has some atrazine in it, it's not just atrazine and glyphosate. There's other actives in there. And we really only see this antagonism between the two products when we get trying to control weeds that glyphosate normally struggles with controlling anyway. So yeah, glyphosate might struggle with weed X in that situation, but the other products in Lumax actually have very good control on Weed X. And so in those products, they work. We've done lots of testing. 
Don't get too bent out of shape about that antagonism. Just realize that it does exist, particularly if you're mixing the two products together yourself on weeds that are marginal for control with the glyphosate. Weston from Saskatchewan asking a question through the Real Ag Twitter feed. Canada thistle and dandelion control in alfalfa having a real struggle with that. It's quite interesting because Western Canada, different than Eastern Canada in this situation. In Western Canada, both Velpar and Grazon XC are registered for control of weeds in alfalfa, in particular Velpar on the dandelion and, and also on sow thistle. So you might get some control of Canada thistle in the alfalfa from the Velpar. Having said that, both of those products, incredibly hot on the alfalfa. You really have to be careful when you use them. It has to be dormant. And so work with your, your supplier, but be very careful because I'm, I'm quite concerned you will damage that alfalfa if you, if you miss the window at all. And the other thing that I would say is that healthy alfalfa, healthy alfalfa is by far the best weed control you have. The better you can fertilize that alfalfa, manage that alfalfa, the better chance you have that the alfalfa itself won't allow the dandelions to establish and will fight against the Canada thistle. Canada thistle much tougher, but certainly the dandelions, they come in where the alfalfa is thin. So if you can keep the alfalfa aggressive, then you get much better dandelion control. With the Canada thistle, you just got to keep repeated cutting it. Of course, that will kill the alfalfa as well. It's a real challenge to control that particular weed. Wow, look at that. I am out of time yet again. On behalf of the team here at realagriculture.com, this is Wheat Pete with the word for Wednesday, June the 12th. Leave us lots of questions. I'll have tons to talk about again next week, which is exactly what I will do next Wednesday. Talk to you then.